0: to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, we are joined by clinical psychologist, TEDx speaker, and international best-selling author, Dr. Jessamy Hibbard. At Dr. Jessamy on Instagram, a lot of you may recognize Jessamy, this is her second time on the show, and the reason for this is that whilst there's so much focus in the world right now on keeping people physically safe with added economical stress stress of yourself or a loved one getting sick or perhaps are even sick a lack of social connection and many places like gyms being closed mental health has been a real victim in all of this I reached out to Jessamy a few weeks back to see if she would come back on and share her thoughts on dealing with loneliness, how to cope with so much uncertainty in the world, how to deal with the stress of the coronavirus, and also, how can we make the most out of this situation? Jessamy was happy to come back on and tackle these topics, and we are so delighted to have her back on because she is so so good at what she does. I personally took so much away from this interview, and I hope that this podcast can help you or a loved one. So I hope that you enjoy this much-needed and timely interview with the incredible Dr. Jessamy. Jessamy, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me back on
0: the show. Before we just started recording, I was thinking to myself, if I was an evil ruler and I wanted to tarnish the mental health of society, I would put added stress on them, I would limit their social contact, I would stop them exercising as much as possible, and these things are pretty much what we're going through right now, right? It's such a testing time.
1: Yeah, yeah it's such a testing time and especially like you say it's all of the things that we know are key for our mental health like connection and you know being outdoors and um to have all of those things change so suddenly is is a massive adjustment
0: i guess that when you are a clinical psychologist that there's an added assumption that you are immune from suffering because of your knowledge and training within the field but you yourself, Jasmine, you are a human. And I know personally that you have had to deal with challenges like homeschooling your kids and moving your practice from seeing patients in person to then seeing them remotely. So I wonder, um, how have you personally been dealing and coping with this?
1: Yeah, I think what you're saying applies not just to this, but generally that people kind of presume because you know all of the tricks and tools that, your mental health must always be good. But of course, I've never experienced anything like this either. So it's been a huge adjustment for me too. And um, I think it probably depends on the day you ask me. And as I joked it to my husband the other day, my best homeschooling days are when I don't actually teach any schoolwork. Um, but I think, you know, like everybody else, I've had good days and bad days. And the good days are when I manage to kind of keep some structure and do the things that I know make a difference. But that doesn't mean that I manage to do that every day. Um, and just like everybody else, it's it's a gradual process to adjust, adjust. And like you say, I'm human, so you experience all the feelings, seeing everything that's going on for everybody and the ways that they're all affected. Um, it's incredibly hard at times.
0: So when you do know the theory and the work in practice, is there an element of guilt that comes with it as a clinical psychologist if your mental health isn't where you would like it to be?
1: Yeah, I suppose I do look at it and think about what's going on and evaluate it. And actually, I don't judge it because I see all of the time when I work with people that um, no one's immune from these things. So for me, I just try and be compassionate and give myself a break, you know, speak to my husband about it or my mum or dad or a friend. And so I just try and do the things that I know make a difference. But I think... Feeling it sometimes is the first stop. And then thinking about what you can do about it is the next step. And, you know, if you're human, you're going to feel things. To Try and miss that part is missing the part of processing emotions and making sense of it all. So so no one's immune.
0: Yeah, I love that. And there's a sort of duality, right, where it's like if you choose not to feel things, if you numb yourself, then you also numb the good parts as well. So I was thinking... um, couple of weeks before this interview i saw you did uh this interview i think it was with woman's health and you talked yeah. about this this buddhist principle of these two arrows flying away so i wonder could you just talk about this principle how that relates to uh, covid19
1: yeah it's an idea i often use in therapy and i also find it really personally useful as well and the buddhist Say that whenever something difficult happens two arrows fly our way so at the moment that first arrow is the coronavirus and the impact it's having on us physically mentally emotionally economically and socially and how you feel as a result of that first arrow will vary depending on what's going on in your life so if your work's affected that will be the part that's affecting you if you're worried about getting ill or worried about a family member then that would be how you'd be feeling it. And so depending on your own life situation, that, that, that will have an impact on how you're interpreting things right now. But it's important to allow those feelings. And that first arrow at the moment, as you say, with coronavirus, it's unavoidable. We're, we're all affected and we can't just jump to coping without processing it first. But the second arrow is our reaction to it. So whilst we can't avoid pain and suffering that the, that the first arrow causes, we do have a choice in how we react and we can prevent ourselves getting shot a second time. And so while it's good to allow your feelings, we also don't want to get stuck in them. And I think it's also about differentiating between what's helpful behaviour and what's unhelpful behaviour in response to it. So, for example, helpful might be, you know, as I said, talking it through with somebody, whereas unhelpful would be maybe constantly checking for symptoms or constantly checking the news. And I think with something like this going on, our brain goes on to kind of high anxiety and prioritizes it as something to think about but actually to avoid the pain of the second arrow we need to give ourselves some time not to think about it too because there's nothing to be gained by exclusively focusing on it so to shift your attention to other things or do things that bring you comfort or pleasure um or even try a distraction you know it's remembering that you have got a choice about about the second part and you can choose where you focus your attention and that can really make a big difference,
0: I think. I love this idea that you are incorporating an Eastern philosophy like, say, Buddhism into typical Western therapy, which I think is amazing. And the reason I say that is because I recently read this book. I read it about a month ago and it was called Already Free by Bruce Tift. And I believe the tagline of the book was... um Buddhism meets psychotherapy. Okay. And I read the book, and I think after I read it, I felt waves and waves of peace for it was probably the most peaceful I felt. It probably lasted for about three weeks. And I think that the tagline of the book was this whole Buddhist approach of just relating to our suffering. Whereas I had very much been on the highly neurotic scale of just trying to just always sort of upgrade my circumstances. Yeah. And it brought me waves and waves and waves of peace, probably that I haven't felt in years. So I wonder, could we just talk about that, how you get patients to process their feelings and become, you know, they sort of accept those feelings? Because this, I think, is such a key point, especially now, you know, as learning to deal with and process those emotions.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's something that I generally think about with people, you know, even even prior to this happening, the idea that, no one feels good every day and that we're human and we have a range of emotions because they all help us in different ways and alert us to different things so by giving them time and giving them attention actually often we let go of them a lot quicker so rather than just kind of you know not feeling good and immediately jumping to fixing it having a bit of time to feel it first probably you're going to get there much quicker and I almost think about it in terms of carrying around like a sack and each time you're just ignoring all the feelings it's like that sack's getting heavier and heavier so you're dragging it around more and more and eventually it's going to spill over even if you're doing your best to ignore it and even though you're not looking at it within your direct awareness you've still got it right beside you you know it's there it's not like you've totally got away with it actually when you unpack the sack and talk through it generally it's not as bad as you think but also it's a big relief and it's kind of cathartic to do that. So in therapy, it's just starting to recognize that it's not just about having good feelings. That's not good mental health. It's that all feelings are valid. And as you say, having some acceptance for those feelings is a good starting point. Um, but also, I guess, with the current situations it's thinking, OK, well, what do I have control over and what don't I have control over and which of these things are affecting me because it's a fear that could You know i could practically approach and do something about and which are fears that are just what ifs and kind of catastrophizing and thinking about the worst case scenario um so again within that once you're looking at the feelings the next step is then thinking where do they fit and how are they helping or hindering me
0: i love that i love that you know thinking about what we can and can't control especially now and i was listening back to earlier episodes which i did um, and one of the things in which I remember recommending to our audience, which I personally was using myself, was I was sort of using um thoughts as a habit loop trigger, so if I was feeling nervous about something, I would use that as a habit loop trigger to say, for instance, go and work harder or prepare more. If I was feeling down, I would use that as a habit loop trigger to go and exercise and I did this for so long and and I think that it's probably one of the reasons why I've come close to burnout quite a few times. And then I read someone like Tift's work and he says like those thoughts, they're never going to go away. They're part of you. And then he made this compelling case about is that life is not always going to be great. We're not always going to be in um, positive and uplifted state. So the best thing we can do is sort of make peace with them. So I think that this is just such a, a key point in, you know, to do, especially now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Amazing. So um, one of my favorite lines from uh, Seneca, Seneca the Younger, was, we suffer more often in (laughs) imagination than in reality. And, you know, in my own life, I found this to be the difference in many cases between peace and suffering. I always think it's like a case of two people, if two people are in a head-on collision one of them crashes into the other and says, oh, you know, it's all your fault. Or oh, look at the damage. And then the person in the other car says, oh, thank God everyone's okay. Or thank God no one's yeah. hurt, it. right? It's just that case of the story we tell themselves. Um, so especially in something like COVID-19 and all this, you know, all this catastrophizing which is going on, so many sensationalist headlines, you know, I wonder how do you help people sort of change their narrative? And what are some of the key components, I suppose, of telling ourselves a positive narrative about what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think that idea that you're describing with Seneca comes up in so many different ways and different theories and philosophies. And in CBT it's thought about as the idea that it's not what happens to us that causes us to feel a certain way, but the way that we interpret it. So it really fits with your idea of the narratives we tell ourselves. And I think in terms of coronavirus, the stories we're telling ourselves about what's going on will make a massive difference to our well-being. Um, and our emotions are going to be like a roller coaster at the moment. There's, there's no avoiding that. But, but we do still have some choice in how we see things and how we approach each day. So I suppose an example of maybe a story that I told myself before, before this, we were right into lockdown, was, was like you said at the beginning, this idea of doing work and homeschooling. And, you know, I love the outdoors, not being able to go out so much. But actually, now that we're in it, I've found that whilst there are days that are really hard, I'm also really relishing not rushing around all the time. And actually, in a strange way, I think, you know, with less options, I'm finding it easier to be grateful for what I do have in terms of, you know, work that I can still do, a family to be in lockdown with, even like going on my bike rides. I'm almost like quite aware of the season changing and how lovely spring is and seeing rabbits jumping across the park or smelling you know, flowers coming out. And so I think how you turn it in your mind can really make a difference to your day. And I think the other part of it is the meaning that you take from this time. So whilst there's no getting away from how awful the current situation is and the devastating impact it's having on so many people, I also think it could be seen as a chance to reevaluate and to think about the things that you want to do differently. And I think in a way, if you kind of learn a lesson for it, from, from this time or you manage to take something from it, then there is some silver lining. And again, that makes a difference. And I think one of the taglines they're using at the moment, which I really like is, you know, you're not stuck at home, you're safe at home. And even that, that tiny change in, yeah, how they say it, it makes such a difference.
0: Mm. I know that since following you, that you were really big on this practice of gratitude. And I suppose in this, you know, in this time, Um, Do you think that this is something which we could be using now maybe more than ever?
1: Yeah, I do. And it seems really counterintuitive. And I think it can feel like something quite trivial, you know, when it's all difficult and days aren't the same and everything's changed, to think, oh, well, you know, just to be grateful for something, how is that actually going to help me? But it makes you focus on what is good in each day. And in a way, you know, when it comes to these stories, we tell ourselves, Essentially, there's no right story, but there are stories that are better for us and better for how we approach things. And surely to be in our best mental health at the moment when things are so difficult is only an advantage. So, so yeah, I think that um, what you're saying to yourself makes all the difference. And the perspectives that we take for other people are often so different from how we look at things for ourselves. So when you start to practice gratitude, you're just looking at, OK, what you've got rather than what you've lost. And even in terms of one of the other ones I like is to look at gratitude, but also positive emotions. So things like awe or pride or serenity. Um, and those things are, in some ways, you know, serenity in my life right now is, is pretty rare. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, when I find pockets of it, it, it makes such a difference. And when I notice it and see that I've got it, again, it lets me see what I have got rather than what I don't have at this time. Um, And whether you're talking about it with other people or writing it down or just noticing it, um, it it definitely makes a difference because you're seeing a different picture of what's going on rather than just what you don't have.
0: It's so interesting that you talk about pockets of freedom because a major thing that I've personally been dealing with is (laughs) a lack of freedom, right, which is ironic considering the name of this podcast. So these feelings of major constraints that have been put in place, for me, they've definitely been majorly overwhelming. So I saw a great post that you did on Instagram in regards to finding freedom in little pockets of the day. So could you just talk about this and what you've been doing to give yourself that element of freedom whilst we are in lockdown
1: yeah um and it's something that's come a lot come up a lot in my sessions working with people too like you say you know before we had kind of ultimate freedom without really even realizing or recognizing it or appreciating it it. yeah and now it's become really important to find it in other ways and in a way i think this fits as well with our with the idea of the, the stories you tell yourself because to some extent you know for some people their lives won't be massively changed they may have spent all day at home and not really gone out for exercise anyway but now they can't it feels very different so i think it's really important to find um freedom in new ways because we haven't got it in the same ways that we used to and there is a more kind of repetitive nature to our lives at the moment so for me freedom is definitely the outdoors and something i've got into um during lockdown on a few mornings a week I just get up really early and I get out on my bike and I either cycle up to Devil's Dyke or down along the seafront and it is so freeing because hardly anybody's around and you know with the kind of wind and beautiful nature around you, you you forget what's going on and there's something really nice to be able to forget about it at times and also for me that escape is a chance to reset and and You know time not to think so in a way I was thinking more about it for the podcast that freedom I think is the thing that gives you a natural high so for me that's exercise but for someone else it might be cooking or a jigsaw puzzle or yoga or giving back you know and volunteering or talking with friends it I guess it's thinking about what it means to you and finding ways to incorporate it even if it's in very small ways throughout the day but what have you been doing since you thought about it?
0: Well, one thing definitely that I've been so grateful for is just headspace. One of the reasons why we started this show was to learn how to optimize our time so that we are not at the whim of others, of other people's schedules. So I guess I've just been using it as a time to take stock, to reflect, to go and do things that my schedule hadn't allowed before, um, like reading books. We are so grateful that we get to do what we do, and we are sent a lot of books. But when we're interviewing, say, six to eight people a month, my own bookshelf just starts to pile up and pile up. So I guess I've just been looking at it as a time to do things that I've never done before. Confronting demons or relationship problems, opening letters, doing admin work, checking over financials, thinking reflecting, taking stock, making plans, even from an exercise point of view, just working on different form on exercises my feeling is that coming out of this that a few weeks after this is all over people will complain about not having enough free time again <laughs> but I guess that's just human nature, right? Um, I want to pick up on, on one of the things you said about nature I just wrote this down I remember Amy Morin come on the show and she said that I think she quoted this study that said that patients with in hospital with a window view heal quicker than people that don't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. even if it's, you're just looking at pictures of nature, um, or if obviously if you could get out there, you know, once per day, then would that make a big difference?
1: Yeah, definitely. And again, it's feeling more in control of your current situation. So you know, whether it's looking at pictures, whether it's sitting by your window with the sun coming in, you know, whether it's getting out for your daily exercise, nature can make such a difference. And, you know, that study is a really well known one, but there's so many studies to show it, whether it's green space or blue space like the sea or, or water. Um, so, yeah, and I think also it is those small changes that you can make that make a difference because there is, we are severely limited at the moment. And yet tweaking things and making those kind of marginal gains all adds up to a big difference and it just gives you more of a sense of control over what's going on.
0: Why is it that I'm just thinking about that like why is that uh why does nature help so much is it that I suppose we realize how small we are is it the exercise component why is it I'm so curious about this.
1: Yeah it's a really good question and I can't tell you an exact answer but um I suppose in terms of evolving, you know, that's how we evolved, isn't it? That we were outdoors, hunter-gatherers, and, you know, that our modern lives really don't link up with how our brains have been wired and designed. So getting back to nature is kind of how we were made, and that's, that's how I think about it. But I definitely also agree with you in terms of when I go down and see the sea, it gives me such perspective because it's so vast and it reminds me how small I am and just that it keeps going. You know, it the tide will always come in and the tide will always go out. And there's something so calming about seeing the sea.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. Um, let's take this conversation to one thing which has been particularly affecting me, this dopamine filled, continuous state of the news. I've never ever before this in my life ever watched the news Um but now I just can't seem to escape it. <laughs> Even me, I find myself yeah. constantly checking BBC News, which I've never done before. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, so it's just crazy. I mean, what can we do to safeguard our, you know, our mental health from this this just overwhelming and seemingly inescapable, um, you know, these continuous updates about it? Yeah, I suppose the
1: reason I laugh is because I can completely identify with what you're saying. I was. Um, I personally am not a news checker either, and yet I've been pulled into the same thing. And um, particularly at the beginning, you know, you kind of reach to check the news and it can bring some relief in the short term, but in the longer term, actually, it increases your anxiety and it gets you into a cycle of checking and seeking out information. Mm. And like you say, it's that dopamine hit because you're not quite sure what the information will be, but there is going to be something new. And so it hooks you into knowing that there's more out there to read and if you finish reading about the UK, you can read about all the other countries across the world. And yeah. and there's, you know, story after story that you can get sucked, sucked into. But, what, you know, a change that I made really early on, especially because I was giving out all this advice not to check the news. I thought I need to take this advice myself. And so I, I just check it once a day now. And it made a huge difference. I thought it would make a difference, but it had such a big impact because you're not on that. Just checking anything gets you into an anxious cycle but particularly checking something that is anxiety-provoking and that is sharing information that is worrying. Um, And so I think it's good to keep a balance between awareness but also avoidance of it. So it is good to know what's going on in the world. And, you know, even like we're saying in terms of the stories we're telling ourselves, we also need to focus on the truth of the situation and feel the emotions connected to it. We can't just jump to this perfect story of it all being great and fine when that's just not the case. But at the same time, to just be looking at it all of the time, to be constantly checking the news, it's going to increase your anxiety. And that uncertainty and the kind of current climate of uncertainty at the moment feeds into other things. And also just practically, if you're constantly checking something, you can't really engage in other things. So if you're trying to read your book while you're checking the news website, the book isn't going to be terribly rewarding. So I think a really kind of practical tip is to try and check it just once a day if you are checking just use trusted news websites to put your phone in a different room or out of reach if you're not very good at just controlling it without you know moving it somewhere else and I think a really big one is if you can don't sleep with your phone in your bedroom and certainly if you're unable to make that step don't check it before you go to bed because otherwise you're then feeding it into your sleep patterns too
0: this is probably one of the craziest things I've done looking back. But when this all first started, I remember I woke up one one night and it was like three or four in the morning and I was literally, I spent about an hour on BBC News and I, yeah. was, I was just like, what am I doing? And it's just so yeah. easy to get drawn into just, as you said, just study after study. If it's not your country, you check in, well, how are things going in South Korea or in New Zealand? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what's yeah. Donald Trump going to say today? <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely. And you've got more time on your hands, you know, and people's sleep is more disturbed at the moment. So there's more opportunities. And added to which, those news websites and all of the things that we check, they're designed to hook you in. So not only is it a topic that hooks you in because of its impact on our lives, it's also websites and social media that are designed to hook us in and more time to be able to do that. So it's watching out for those habits you form. Yeah, and definitely not checking when you wake up in the middle of the night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How important, are uh, um? you've mentioned it a few times in this episode and I was just thinking about it, how important do you think maintaining routines are? Because I think I read there have been some studies done into this being really important.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important because routine gives you a structure to your day and it means that you're not just every day deciding how your day should be, which it's in itself is quite a difficult thing to do, you know, deciding how you're going to spend your time. So to know... You know, for us at the moment, we do Joe Witts at 9am. Just knowing that's in the day, at the beginning of the day, it sets up your morning really easily. And just having the daily exercise and making sure that we take that each day, you know, having small things that you can build into the day that are just going to come up every day without you having to think about it really makes a difference. But it also gives you a sense of stability because you know what to expect amongst so many things that we don't know, you know, what's going on or what to expect um and also you know what you do has a big impact on your mood so making sure that you incorporate things into your day that are going to give you a lift or make you feel better again is a kind of way to manage this time and not be sucked into you know a day where you're just checking the news all day or you know not doing anything rewarding or not getting dressed in the morning and you know in some ways you can differentiate between weekdays even and weekends so maybe on the weekends you don't care if you get up and get dressed too early, whereas on the weekdays you do. So then you've got a bit of difference for your week as well and it doesn't feel exactly the same.
0: I made a note about you using Joe Wicks as a resource during this time. And I think that Joe is a fantastic resource. For our US listeners that may not know, Joe Wicks is an online personal trainer that every day at 9am UK time, he releases a completely free 30-minute workout which you can do. Um, These videos have become so popular that he's had 22 million plus hits since the coronavirus first broke. And I think that this guy is going to emerge as a national treasure from all of this. And if you're listening, Joe come on the show (laughs) reply to my emails (laughs) um but as far as the actual workouts go um i've been doing these with my mother and i have to say there's such a great bonding activity and the exercises themselves are fantastic so for anyone that wants to check joe out i'll link that below um It really does help. So, is is that the reason you're doing it? Obviously, besides the exercise, does it help you feel more connected? Because obviously, this is a really lonely time.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that about your mum because we do FaceTime with my mum and dad when we're doing it. So they're doing it on you know, and they can see us doing it, and then everyone that you know around the world is doing it as well. And there is a real sense of connection in that, and even the fact that you know you're doing it at the same time as you know he gets hundreds of thousands if not millions of views on his on his videos and there's something definitely that connects you with that and I think also it's you know as a parent with young children it's great to just give them a chance to run off some steam in the morning and for me I definitely get that endorphin high as a result of it and it's like okay tick, I've done I've done something good already today and it sets you off in a good motion and it kind of meets different requirements for each member of my family which is really nice.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think we were just sort of touching on something but that feeling of community and togetherness. And this is, you know, a really, really, really difficult time. There's, it's, you know, apart from, I suppose, the people you come into contact with in the supermarket. And even then, I mean, we're too, we've got to be two metres away from them. This is an inherently lonely time. Being social is, is hardwired into us, right? We are a social animal. How are you approaching that topic of loneliness? Because obviously, I mean, loneliness is a thing which is, um, you know, there's so many studies done where it links to Alzheimer's, dementia, all these terrible, terrible things. And this is something which I really um, was afraid of. Um, So what could we do to combat this, this, you know, this loneliness at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're living alone, it, it is particularly hard at the moment. And I suppose it comes back to that idea of how you feel connected. So in terms of even just what we've talked about with Joe Wicks, I don't know most of those other people doing the workout at 9am, but I feel connected to them by doing something that I know they're doing at the same time. And I think it's almost trying to be um, like trying to look at it slightly differently during this period. So whilst we're not able to physically be together, actually you can still feel like you're together and still feel like people are out there thinking about you in the way that you approach your day. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if you're on your own or even if you're with your family and really missing friends and work colleagues or, you know, other family members, then it's important to keep up social contact in other ways, whether it's a WhatsApp group, you know, that's just there so you can just text, it's really easy. Whether it's setting up video calls with um, friends and family, there's loads of online initiatives at the moment where you can um, you know like sing along with people or um, get involved with something that a bit like the Joe Wicks thing, where it's lots of people involved. You know for some of my the people that I see, it's doing their exercise classes via Zoom, and so seeing all the faces of the people that they would normally go to the class of and their teacher, but being able to do it online and um, another of my clients talked about how every morning even though all of his family are dotted around the world at the moment, they um, phone in and do and have a cup of tea together and just chat. Oh, wow. And even, you know, I, I recently turned 40 and this weekend I was meant to have all my girlfriends coming to stay. And actually we did a Zoom call instead. And the idea of it, you think, oh, it's not the same, but as soon as you do it, you're so close to each other, you can see each other, you can all chat together. And I think that it really does make a difference and that it's really important to prioritise those things. And some days, you know, whether it's calling somebody or doing the exercise or, you know, making time for the things that bring you pleasure, some days you just won't feel like doing it. But actually, at these times, you have to think about it in terms of opposite action. And your brain might say, don't do it, but your brain hasn't got your best interest in mind. And even though you don't really feel like doing the call that morning, actually just make the call anyway. And if you want to cut it off early, you can do. But then you've got that chance to connect with somebody.
0: Yeah, it's so much I love there in terms of, um, you know, finding those connections and finding, um, you know, different ways to connect. And one of the things which um, we've been doing in the UK is, uh, I think it's every Thursday at 8pm, we've been clapping for the NHS for just 30 seconds to a minute. And ju- the first time that this happened, honestly... You know, I mean the UK there was a study done in twenty fifteen which found that it was one of the most lonely places in the world to live. Um but mm-hmm. for some reason I just felt so to for me that was everything which can be great in humanity, right? It was just I, I got really emotional when that was going on. So just making yeah. sure that we, you know, keep those connections is such such an important um such an important part. So mental health Um, as I understand, there is a continuum, right? It's sort of in flux every day. There's no fixed points. So in this pandemic, obviously, there is a real worry that people's mental health could be on the decline. So what would some warning indicates be that if someone's listening right now, that they could say, okay, perhaps, these are some warning signs which I need to be aware of?
1: So the first thing I'd say is that I think it often has been thought about on a continuum but more recent thinking is that it's like a circle and i think there's something really nice about that because what that says is that when you go through these difficult times you don't just go into it and then come back to a place you go into it and you gain something from it whether it's just oh, wow. your brain gaining new information about what it's like to struggle uh whether it's seeing that you can cope with difficult experiences and overcome them, whether it's simply seeing that you can be in a really bad place but come out of it again. All of that builds our resilience. So we don't just, you know, come out of it not having gained anything. There is an actual gain from it as a result of going through it. Um, I love but in that. terms of Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I love that. Um, and I think just knowing that helps, that it's hard, but, you know, you can cope with it and that you will learn something from it and it will stand you in better stead. And even when I think about the difficulties I've experienced in my life, in some ways I feel like it's better prepared me to go through something like this than had I never experienced anything. Um, But I guess, as you say, it is going to have a real impact on mental health. And, you know, like you started off with at the beginning, it is conjuring up all the things that we know are not good for us. So I suppose in terms of how you're feeling, if, if you look out for warning signs, it would be things like, you know, obsessing, so checking the news and not really being able to stop, or when you're not checking it, just obsessing over all those different things, um, whether it's the news or whether it's something difficult that's going on as a result of what's happening at the moment, um, and that ruminating as well. It would also be things like a loss of pleasure in daily activities, um, increased emotion like tearfulness or irritability, anger, anxiety. Um, and, and a simple way that I think about it as a psychologist is, you know, are these things getting in the way of your normal daily living? So is it stopping you from doing things? Are you getting withdrawn? You know, are you really tired or demotivated? Are you not sleeping or overeating or under eating? And, um, I think if you're feeling those things, particularly if you're feeling it fairly severely, it's really important to speak to a doctor or to reach out if you've got a therapist already or, you know, linked into mental health services um, to gain their advice and to just have someone to talk those things through with.
0: A lot of our listeners have mentioned to us before about this service called BetterHelp, which is virtual therapy, which you can sort of get a therapist within a couple of minutes online. Are there any other sites um, sites or, or tools or resources that you know some you could point someone towards if this is perhaps going too much
1: i suppose there's things like samaritans which and chain line which are always on the end of the phone if you're feeling you know just a bit lower but but not too bad then actually there's loads of clinical psychologists on instagram who are giving advice about how to manage this time um and i think you know you i'm still doing therapy with 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 many of my clients and we're doing, you know, video calls and seeing that that is just as effective in terms of having that support through this time. Um, But I do think making sure if it's more severe, you get it checked out with a professional.
0: Is there anything that a clinical psychologist would love people to know in regards to mental health during a pandemic?
1: I suppose in terms of the current uncertainty, it's knowing that that is a key trigger for anxiety, and thanks to evolution and survival of the fittest, our brains have a wired response to uncertainty. To, to uncertainty that shifts control over to the limbic system, which is where all the anxiety and fear and emotions like anger and the the kind of emotional hub is. And in the face of uncertainty, when we evolved, you know, fear ensured survival. But the trouble is, in our modern world, it's not so helpful. And also in our modern world, we're much less practiced at dealing with uncertainty because everything is so instant. So, you know, if I'm driving somewhere, I used to get really stressed about getting stuck in traffic, whereas now I use, you know, that like Google route. And so you always know, even when you're in traffic, it's no big deal, you're on the best route. Or like box sets, you know, you don't have to wait the next week. You can just watch all of them at once. So we don't have that same practice at waiting. And I think that often with uncertainty, we try and become more certain. But because this current situation, you know, we can't do that. And, you know, realistically a knife. there's no such thing as 100% certainty. It's important to try and find ways to manage the uncertainty and to increase our tolerance of it. And so that comes back to a lot of the things we've talked about today, like taking a day-by-day approach and thinking about, you know, what can I do today rather than what if this goes on and on for months? Um, thinking about, what's sensible rather than scaremongering so following government measurements or looking into financial support packages you know volunteering or joining groups to support others and then you know as you know my motto is that what you do every day makes the biggest difference Mm -hmm. so thinking about the small things that you can add to your day whether it's staying connected with people whether it's adding in the things that gives you pleasure and enjoyment you know like me getting out for my bike ride um and then that Second part that we've talked about in terms of trying to let go of what you can't control, and something that I love and I think some that are perfectly, but I guess it's good to have a phrase that fits for you is um, the Serenity Prayer. So, do you, you know it? It's grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Oh, and I wow. think just having some kind of phrase like that is a really centering and good reminder um, to bring you back to today
0: there's so much gold there especially in terms of dealing with uncertainty and for the type A bordering on neurotic tendencies like myself that is particularly particularly helpful so I wonder do you have a challenge for us, for our audience for everybody listening right now that is going through this pandemic, is there a challenge that you, a clinical psychologist, has for us?
1: Well, I think that um, i I read this article recently, and when, when I knew you were going to ask me this question, it made me think of it. And so it's not my challenge, it's more Terry Waite's challenge. Mm-hmm. And for people who know about him, he was taken captive, and he was put in a tiled kind of deep underground cell on his own for um, 1,763 days. And he, ta- he did this article in The Telegraph and talked about what he learned from that time and how he managed it, because it was so, so difficult. But he said that he thought about it in terms of, you know, that he still had his life and that he was determined to do his best to survive and that he just lived one day at a time. And he realized that he still had a life and that he should try and live that as fully as possible. And he also talked about how, you know, it's very easy to get introspective and depressed with these kind of circumstances and to get into self-criticism or, you know, looking at the things that we're unhappy with. But they're actually trying to find some pride in your day to day and just get a greater acceptance of ourselves. And, you know, in that article, he talks about the simple things like getting dressed or taking this time of restriction as an opportunity and so my kind of challenge would be, and what I've been using myself, is to think, you know, what would Terry do? And I don't use his example to undermine our current experience because actually it still has a huge effect and it still has a big impact, but I offer it more as hope. If somebody can survive that and go through such a difficult experience and find meaning from it, it gives me hope that that's something that we can all do too. It's
0: very Victor Frankl type-esque. A yeah. Um, so you last came on the show it was um july 2nd last year so it's been a year since you, well more or less a year since you come on the show i know that you know you are right on the edge i mean i see all the things which you do on instagram and i keep up to date you really are at the cutting edge of a lot of this stuff related to psychology so is there anything that you've changed your mind about in that time perhaps a life philosophy or an old
1: belief Um, I suppose, I'm not sure if it's a life philosophy, but something I've done a lot of in the last year is that I've done, uh, I've had a go at trying new things. And I think, you know, when you get into your adult life, and particularly as you get responsibilities and have a job and have kids and have a house to look after, it's easy to forget about new things. So in the last year, a couple of things I've done is, uh, when I was younger, I never learnt to front crawl. So I found a swimming teacher and learnt front crawl. And um, the second one is the bike. So my husband is into road biking and I had slightly, you know, I just kind of thought that was definitely not for me. And then I used to do a lot of running and um, got injured and it became clearer and clearer that I just, my body's not really cut out for running anymore. So I thought, okay, I'll just get a bike and then at least I can go out with my husband occasionally. And actually, not only did I, was I terrified the first few times I did it because I had to clip in and I didn't quite manage to clip out half the time um but also it was really exhilarating learning something new and being pushed out of my comfort zone and not being totally in control and I think that I had as an adult started to count myself out of lots of things or just think they went for me without trying them and without finding out and so what's changed for me is just you know make sure you try all these things before you count them out before you judge them in some way and you know fine if I tried cycling and then I really didn't like it I could be like yeah what are you doing cycling all the time but to have made that judgment before I'd even tried it. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that I've changed now.
0: And we see all the biking posts on Instagram and things. You're like, it's like Lance Armstrong of the clinical psychology world.
1: <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm, I've got a terrible habit of becoming obsessed by these things. So I said, I'm just going to really enjoy it. I'm not going to take it seriously. And now I go out and I can't help but check all my segments on Strava when I come back. But um, <laughs> it brings me pleasure. <laughs> Them type A
0: personality tendencies, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Jessamy, this has been amazing. This is going to help so many people. Where can our audience connect with you? Um, What are you currently working on? and um, Or any future projects? And do you have any closing thoughts?
1: Um, So I'm on Instagram as Dr. Jessamy and my website is just drjessamy.com. And my latest book is Stars Before Bedtime, which is a book for children to help them go to sleep. So it's a really lovely story about the night sky full of fact-based um, stories about the constellations, but it's also got relaxation exercises woven in to help prepare your child for sleep. Um, so that's been my most recent project. And as you said, I can't believe it's nearly a year ago, but um, The Imposter Cure as well, which I wrote last year. Um, so they, they've been my most recent projects. And uh, for now, I'm not thinking too far ahead, so I'm not sure what will come next. But um, yeah, I hope your listeners might enjoy either of those
0: living in the moment i love it i love it well me. i can't thank you enough for coming on the show this is you know this is one of the reasons why we reached out you're so good at what you do um you know and we're just so grateful for you taking the time to come on we can't thank you enough
1: no thank you for having me and it's been it's actually been really good to think about all these things and it's always a pleasure to chat with you